You know what time it is. Dream, plan, execute, episode 11. This is your opportunity to learn from other individuals working on their entrepreneurial and project management dreams and how they implement their dream, plan, and execute. In this podcast, we'll explore the metaphysics of dreaming and how to follow and listen to your intuition. We'll explore strategies from project management such as planning, writing down goals, scheduling, and budgeting. Then we'll move to execution. We'll explore topics such as operational efficiency, mental toughness, grit, and using an athletic mindset. I'm your host, Ramon Parchment. Stay tuned and enjoy the episode. I'm happy to have you on the podcast. It's been some time since we spoke last, man, but it's I've seen what you've done and ultimately the point of the podcast is to highlight people who dream, plan, and execute. And you're one of the persons from Arden High that definitely encompasses that. I mean, you just to give you um why I really believe that, you're the first person to ever introduce me to actuarial science. When everyone was in eighth grade, trying to figure out what they want to do. You said, I want to be an actuarial scientist and everybody was lost. And, um, <laughs> you know, that really stuck with me because you, you recognize early on in your life what you wanted to do and then you stuck with it. And of course it's evolved into what it is now. So for the listening audience who isn't aware of Sanjay James, let's kind of give them a backstory of yourself and how you got to this point. When I was a young person, like in primary school, I've always had a, a, a very good understanding of mathematical concepts. When my other grades were <laughs> below average or probably average, my math grades yeah. just always excelled, right? So it, it, it formed me into a person that had a very keen eye for details and allowed me to become someone who is very analytical. I, I carried through my whole love for math in my life, which has pretty much brought me to the stage where I am today, where I'm in business intelligence. So that's, that's interesting because like to that backstory, I'm, and I think I've mentioned this to you, um, previously, like you talk about eighth grade, we're going to ninth grade. We eventually get through CXC, right? And now we're in Cape math, right? And, and I mentioned it to you before where I'm studying to become an architect at the time. I'm in the art department and we're studying Cape Maths together, Cape 2 specifically. Mm-hmm. And you look at me one day, you're like, listen, I'm good at math and I'm studying very hard and it's still difficult for me and you're not studying hard enough and you're going to fail that exam if you don't start studying. Exactly so is exactly what happened. I failed the exam, I ended up taking it back at Maths Unlimited and then I ended up crushing it, but I was at that time, I actually was focusing and I was actually studying for the exam, right? And that stuck with me because that's what I would consider a good friend. The person who is not just going to be a yes man to you, but tell you the truth and the, the, give you a dose of medicine that you need, right? And um, that's something you've always uh, embodied where you're going to tell the truth. You're going to be a stand-up person and say it as is, right? And the reality of the situation and the, um, I can give you probably a little bit of background of why I probably would have said something to you like that. I remember yeah. when I, when I did Cape level one math, and I guess you will remember this, it was one of the steepest learning curves 
100%. from CXC Mathematics. It was a big difference, big difference. At the time, Arden being one of the, the top 10 schools in probably Jamaica at the time, we had a high failure rate for Cape Math. Right. And I realized at the Cape Math Level 1 that the persons who were really doing well were persons who were consistently practicing. The thing with math is like it's a it's a ritual. It's a, it's a it's a passion. You have to love it to really get those questions done and do well at it. So I I, I can't imagine that's one of the reasons why I probably said, "Man, you're not practicing enough. You need practice more." <laughs> right. No, hundred percent. I mean, listen. I think one of the things I recognize in life is, and that's why you have mathletes, right? That's why this that's that phrase where repetitive repetition builds success, right? Mm-hmm. The ability to keep doing it and becoming better at it is the way you develop skill and math, athletics, um, power development. Anything you're doing requires repetition over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And um, that's one of the things that really stood out with me for you. And it, since then, you you moved on. You went and you studied actual science. Was it at UWE, correct? Yeah, yeah, University of the West Indies. Yeah, so how was that? How was... um? taking on the actual dream so think about it like eighth grade you said it no you're actually doing it so how was it like being in actual science um at U- university of west indies so the concept of actual science actually um came to me through my mother my mother at the time worked at the university of west indies when i was in high school she knew i was really good at math and i said mom um i want to do something that makes me do a lot of math and she spoke to some of the lecturers that were there and said, do actual science. Like it's a, it's a good hybrid between mathematics, statistics, and, and business modeling. Mm. And from then I stuck to, okay, I want to do actual science because I trusted my mother that much. So right. when I graduated from high school and actually got into the program, first mm-hmm. of all, I was really happy because it's a very few individual individuals get into those programs. And you knowing how Jamaica is in the background of Jamaica, you right. those programs, a lot of rich people, rich people, kids, the mm-hmm. individuals who have the education, who know that in these fields come money or financial stability, they tend to force their kids into it. Now, me coming from a inner city, I, I was very proud of the fact that, um, I got into the program on my first attempt. I, I didn't really to, to to do an additional year to get into the program. But when I entered the program, it made me see math in a totally different light. <laughs> like it was the first time I actually did math and realized that you can actually do a math course without numbers. Like literally <laughs> no numbers. I'm talking about math essays. I'm talking about summary statements, conclusions, bodies, mm-hmm. everything. It's a essay on mathematics. There was a one, one course in particular called mathematical induction. And it was mm-hmm. all about forming math theories, proving that numbers are not real numbers and proving that it, it, it was crazy. So it opened my eyes being in university. So there was two aspects of actual science in university. There was one, the financial side where I had financial meeting, I had to find the money to get educated. That was one my main focus at university because I did not have the funds entering into university and I did not want to go through the expensive route of student loan. And there was a, the other side which had to do with the education aspect of the mm-hmm. program. 
funny enough for me personally, because I had the, 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 the aptitude and the ability to quickly catch on to mathematical concepts, the university was a breeze for me on the perspective of the education side. The part that I invested a lot of time in was to get the money to educate myself. So you might speak to someone else who went through the program and they have a totally different perspective. But for me personally, I had to do a lot of hustling, go get scholarships here and there, sell tickets for drama plays so that I could educate myself. So I also taught mathematics to high school students and collected a fee for it. I also did things like even reteach courses that I'm learning at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I love it, man. I love it. I get it because I've been there, man. I was in, um, when I went to school and there was also a year where, you know, you're doing what you need to do, but you need the cash. You're working, you're studying, you're doing what you need to do to make sure you can pay what you need to pay. The financing part of the the college experience is it's rough, especially if you're coming from like you said a a family or a neighborhood what wants the your family wants the best for you, but they don't might they might not have the cash to 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 help you through that moment, and you gotta just hold it by the reins and do what you need to do. Especially, and I think you did this the smartest is not trying to take any student loans while doing it, right? Mm -hmm. And that's amazing that you had that. Well, you always had that drive, and Ultimately, uh, I think everyone's journey in life is a little different, like you said, and everyone has their own antagonizing force. So for you, it might not have been the academics, right? That's something that you already had instilled in you. You, you knew what you needed to do. You catch on to math very well, but your antagonizing force was the cash, but you overcome it, right? You did what you needed to do to overcome yeah. it, and that's important. Yep. And I think this is a, is a very good message for even the listeners as well. Don't let your financial situation define where you want to go. Always have your plans, your goals set out. And no matter what your situation is, there's a route there. There's Correct. a way there. I'm a hundred percent sure of it. I, I'm telling you about times I go to school, literally I don't eat for three days, but I mm. still do my exams. I still get A's. I find ways to school and don't have a way back home, but I get provided for some way, somehow I get that finance to go back home. So at the end of the day, I'm a strong believer in, in, in spiritual forces and I'm a strong believer in God. So for me, I was covered and I was protected, right? Which means no, being graduated from the universe. You know, it's good that you bring up spiritual force because I think a, a, a lot of persons when you go through this world and you have that ease of mind knowing that as long as I do the hard work and keep doing what I need to do and be a good-natured person, that somewhere there's going to be an opportunity there that I can capitalize on, right? Mm -hmm. But I just need to get past this rough patch. And I think a lot of people break when they go through a rough patch, right? Okay. And you don't need enemies. Your own enemies yourself. Your own mind can be your own enemy by the antagonizing words that you put in yourself and your self-doubt can stop you from your greatness. In fact, sometimes having an antagonizing force from somebody, depending on the person who you are, might rise you to the occasion. But if you don't have that and you just left on your own accord, 
you can you can literally negotiate with yourself out of getting things done right mm -hmm. and so that spiritual backing gives you the fortitude to be like listen i know who's with me i know that as long as i do what i need to do i can get the job done so that's amazing man and i'm happy that you know it's nice to look back and you see your friends you know you guys have obviously moved on and gone different places in the world but you, you occasionally scroll on your instagram or linkedin and you, what you said you were going to do you did right yeah you know and so that's you found what i would consider your ikigai where you know what you're good at you know what the world needed you know what you're passionate about and you know what you love and all those combination of things and is where you find your your soul your your soul urge or your purpose in life. So kind of give us like the synopsis of how you moved from actuarial science and for the listening audience also kind of give them a, a how that how this business intelligence kind of differ from actuarial science. The thing about me is I'm someone who don't believe in one route to get mm -hmm. to where you want to be. So when I, I, I'm always adapting to new environments, adapting to what the industry needs. When I did actual science, I went through the program and, I, and, and the program had different pieces. The, the program had a small portion of programming, computer science aspects to it. It had portions of statistics, statistical inferences. It had portions of business, understanding business models, understanding different competition environments, monopoly, oligopoly, etc. And it had um, also small English aspects, which we had to learn, right? And there was also a big component of it that had to do with risk management. At the time, risk when I went through the actual science program, risk management was an emerging area. Um, yeah. The whole concept of risk management really came into its own following the financial crisis that happened 2007 between 2007 to 2018, right? Because of that, when I went through actual science, it was very fresh. It was new. It was, a, it, was a, it was a concept that wasn't really thought of much in the third world countries, right? When I graduated, I graduated and I started working at Grace Kennedy as a pricing analyst because in Jamaica at the time, there wasn't many actual hiring companies. And for the listening audience, to be an actuary, you have to finish a set of exams. And it's a, it's a lot of rigorous learning and it's a lot of rigorous exams to become an actuary. And also being an actuary, you're not more on the forefront. You're more like most of the times you're, be, you're the behind the scenes brain of the operation. As I grew up and I got older and I actually started working, and this is the most important thing for those who are new or young, when you actually start work, that's when you really realize your skill sets in the work world. So you can always learn theoretically, but when you go out there, you really realize where you can thrive or how you can grow and become a senior maybe in the future long-term life. So I started as a pricing analyst and I realized over time that my skill sets was working with people, finding small issues within big scale projects. And I was also good in getting the best out of people coming from working for a couple of years. So I, I, I moved on from being a pricing analyst and I was moved to being purchasing 
purchasing officer slash a category analyst where I managed the warehouse of products, foods, food items, and I had to manage truckers to get food items to different parts of Jamaica. So if you notice, I've moved totally from being a pricing analyst where I'm just managing pricing of products in North America, Canada, Africa, so forth, like Miss Kennedy, Chris Foods International. Then I moved to Ilo Food Store, which is a retail store. So if if you're listening, you're, you're listening to the, the details, you'll hear analytical skill sets. You'll also hear supply chain management. Those eras were the eras where I got the opportunity when I graduated from school. Now, it's very important that wherever you get the opportunity to work, you also focus on owning in on your skill sets in that area. A lot of times people say, okay, you wanted to be an actuary, so why did you even take that job? A lot of times life pushes you in directions and there's always opportunities there for yourself. Now, working in those industries, I heard about the concept of risk management within banks. Then I decided that then, then when I looked on the actual industry as well within Jamaica, there was a lot of actuaries who weren't getting hired. And there was a lot of students who were doing their exams and who were advanced in the program that also weren't getting hired in the actual science field. So I did my research and tried to figure out why in Jamaica that's the case. I realized that companies are now focusing on hiring specialists than generalists. What do I mean by that? As an actuary, you touch on different pieces of business, whether it's statistics, risk management. You're not, you're pretty much a jack of all trades rather than a specialist in a trade. I realized that risk management was an emerging field. And I also realized that risk management was also a subset of actuarial science as well. And I decided, you know what? This has a lot of the core components that would make me strive. So let me go into that industry. So I ended up working in a bank called First Global Bank, where I became a risk manager. I got the opportunity to work um, in the field for, I think it was roughly two years. Then I decided, I, I said to myself, um, Jamaica, it's going to take way too long for me to grow in Jamaica because I had a goal that by the age of 30, I needed to be earning a certain amount of money. Then I did my research and I realized Canada was a country that were open to get young working professionals. I decided to, to, to apply to school here and did supply chain management and global logistics to complement my working experience that I had before. I did not do risk management at the time here because I actually completed a master's in risk management before coming to Canada within Jamaica. So if you notice, I did a lot of education in areas where I got work experience because I believe educating yourself in areas where you get work experience is very important to make you can strive in many different areas of life. Why business intelligence? To be frank, I ended up in business intelligence in Canada because I had no other choice. At the time when I was looking, I was looking to go in risk management in Canada. But then I realized I needed a specific certification from GARP. I think it's called the Global Associate for Risk Professionals. Don't call me on that, but I know it's mm -hmm. really some risk body that was needed for me to be certified to work in the banks in Canada. The opportunity opened up for me to go in business intelligence because I applied to I applied to multiple jobs and I had a friend that worked at the time at Bell Canada 
who's one of the largest telecommuting companies in Canada. And he said, he he also did actual science as well. And he said, why don't you think about business intelligence? You should have the aptitude to do something like this. So he recommended me for the job. I did the interview. My, my hiring manager liked me and she hired me. And up to this day, I'm in business intelligence for now. My long-term goal is to go back to risk management. So I'm actually completing that certification that is needed to get me back into that zone. That's amazing. I love the story behind it because it's, you live up to it. You gave the details, right? Because a lot of times people was like, yeah, I started here and then I ended up here. But for instance, I'll give you an example. I wanted to be an architect initially, right? Took technical drawing. Came to New York, I recognize engineering in general just is a more flexible degree. You can go into construction with it or the built environment, but you can also go into finance and banking. Consequently, I studied civil engineering. Studied engineering, got out of school, recognized that the actual management side of things make a lot more money than just doing straight up engineering out of school. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, I said, let me try and let's do construction. And then from there, now being in construction from the construction end, when I do get designs from architects or engineers, I can assess it completely different because of what I had as a schooling from the engineering side and the design side. So when I see from the execution side, I can really communicate with them in a way where they understand that I do know the math and the science behind what they're trying to achieve. So I can see that you used, you know, what people miss is like, when you go to school, you learn tools. Like, you know, they're showing you ways you could use your tool, but that's not the only way you can use your tool, right? Exactly, exactly. That's the key thing, you know, it's like you're going through this training, but not because you don't have to be in this box. If you see an opportunity and you did so, you said it multiple times, which is research, right? I left school with eight offers. There are persons who had higher GPAs than me who left with less than one, not fighting to get one. And it's just the research, looking at the market, seeing where the market needs your skill set, applying yourself there, right? Doing the research, which you always, you've been saying that since the beginning of the, the podcast, which is I sat down, I looked, I assessed what the market needed, what skill sets I have. What do I possess that the, part, the the market needs and how can I implement myself there to achieve the goal that I'm trying to achieve, right? Now you're in business intelligence, right? Now you're working on going back into risk management. I think to myself and the listening audience, we, I know we know about statisticians, but we didn't, I didn't recognize how um, actuaries could also have this gamut and mixed bag that you guys can approach. So now you're in business intelligence. What's it like working in business intelligence? Or what are the tips you would give to anybody interested in going into business intelligence? Okay, so business intelligence is general, uh, generally analytics and it's generally data analytics. How do you represent information for the layman or the regular businessman coming from dirty data? Mm -hmm. Even sometimes clean data, how do you get your data to a stage where you can tell a story to a layman that don't really know Sigma X squared, Y, Z. Right. 
Right. You need to break that down so that someone understands from a business perspective or senior leaders can understand from a business perspective. What is my next step to make profits? That's what business intelligence is in a mm -hmm. nutshell. It also has different components. It has the, the ingestion of data um, aspect, and then you have the representation of data aspect. You have different tools that are used to help you with those processes. Currently, right now, I am on the the middle phase. I'm in the mid. I'm on the the tail end where I take data that's already cleaned and represent it for senior managers to make decisions on. So I I interact a lot with the senior managers and the execs of the company. Tools such like SaaS. Power BI, MicroStrategy, those tools are in the industry that are being used, Tableau, even Excel. Um, so a lot of people think that business intelligence is actually, oh, it's the most technical thing there is, but a core component of business intelligence, a core tool that is used within business intelligence, actually Excel. So from we graduate and we get a basic analyst job, we've already been a part of business intelligence where we're using excels to represent information now how is it for me for me personally this is what i always liked because i liked numbers right so you said this before earlier where you said that school gives you the tools but it doesn't tell you exactly what to do with those tools and how to utilize them so for me being a part of business intelligence also opened my eyes to understand maybe I don't need to be in hardcore risk management, but I can be in risk analytics, right? Got you. So it now when I was a part of hardcore risk management where I didn't like the operational risk management part of the business, which had to do with a lot of words. Now I realize there are industries that are actually using business intelligence in people who have risk knowledge to lead into risk analytics. So for me personally, this is a very good stepping stone and it's something that I've really enjoyed the learning process, which will help me to go to the next level in my risk management career. Now, if someone wants to break into the industry of business intelligence, I would just simply say, read a lot. I know in everything that you do, people say, oh, educate yourself, understand, be intentional about your readings. If business intelligence is what you want to be in, get a full understanding of what it entails. Get a full understanding that you're probably not going to see that much words, especially if you're on, on the analytical side of business intelligence. You should also practice different coding languages, right? So in school, I, I'm not sure if every, most, most, um, science-based subjects expose you to some coding languages, but I think it's a skill set that is going to be very high in demand from now and uh, until for the next couple of years, I think everyone should learn how to code, or at least at some extent, understand what coding is about, understand data from your analytical jobs from the basic Excel, learn to understand the data, learn to understand the business. A lot of times analysts always think that, okay, I should get requirements from a business prime and I should just regurgitate slash give the information the way they want it. 
that's a big wrong bang and that's a big X. And one thing that allowed me to grow quickly in this industry is also making anything about the business your business. So even though you're an analyst, where which you deal with a lot of numbers, try to understand what's in the mind of the executive. Try to mm -hmm. understand what's in the mind of those who are using your report to make decisions because for me personally, I came into business intelligence in 2019. It's now 2023 and I'm operating at senior manager level. And, right. and I have never done business intelligence before coming to Canada. Why this happened? I remember my first boss that I had here, she said one thing that you have that my team don't have is the ability to understand the business. You are not only a coder, but you're also someone who can direct people in the right pathway. And that goes a long way. And how did I get to learn that? I get to learn by understanding the business, asking questions. Don't be in a box and don't think my role is this, so I will do this. Never do that. That will always limit your growth in anything. So those are my recommendations also one important thing is i always say if you want to break into business intelligence do small courses in using systems that manage data database managing do things that are used based on analyzing data systems that analyze data and also do a course on systems that represent data or graphically give representation for data get those done you'll break in the industry pretty easily that's amazing i mean honestly it's it's a joy to have you on the podcast because i think a lot of times people don't get that systematic step-by-step processy of how to do what you need to get done i think some people naturally possess it and then others can grow into it you possess a, a strong ability to break things down into small details and that helps you as a manager because as a manager myself, one of the, the key components is you have your technical skills and then you have your soft skills, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're technically gifted, but you can't communicate that in an intelligent way, the, the job won't get done, right? Mm -hmm. And so that your ability to do that is also, like your boss said, one of the reasons why you're growing at the rate that you're growing in your company because people want to listen to someone who can communicate really technical concepts in a like you said layman's term mm -hmm. what's that i need to do how am i going to go about doing it uh, what's the grander scheme and also what you did what i really paid attention to is understanding the downstream effects of what you're providing right yes you asked for this but know that i know you want this why do you want this right why are you going to do it this? And maybe you said it, but I think with my intuition and my skill sets that I have, that this portion of information will be added or necessary for you to do what you need to do. My senior manager always says to me, like, when someone gives you a bit of information, always ask yourself this question. Why is this person giving me this information? Who needs this information? And what, and what should I do with this information, right? Because a lot of times in, in business, a lot of bottlenecks happen with people not actively communicating well. Correct. That's, 
So your ability to have the technical nuance, not just listen blindly to what someone's saying to you, but critically listen, actively listen to what they're saying, and then using the analytics behind it to go, okay, this is what you want. This is what I know. This is what you're trying to achieve. How can I help you there with not just the numbers, but also with the attitude and the communication a little bit. So one of the things I wanted to ask you, you possess a, a strong self-discipline and ability to execute well, right? Mm-hmm. What are the things you did to develop your execution skills? And what, how did you come about the, the self-discipline that you have? The reality is self-discipline is from your younger years. When your parents give you tasks, mm-hmm. hold you accountable to it. And I believe that a lot of people who grow up to be experts of being self-disciplined and executing plans properly had proper guidance when they were younger. Now, for those who probably didn't have someone who helped them or um, from a younger age who have came up and have developed very good self-discipline skills, I believe they met persons along the way that has helped them. I don't think it's something that we can do on our own. I think people helping us to be held accountable to our promises to ourselves is very important. But what I do on a daily basis is that I always self-reflect. If you ask me what I'm going to do or where I'm going to be three years from now, I already potentially <laughs> mapped it out. Right. Yeah. I live and it's something that I'm working on because I I, I, I did speak to a doctor before and the doctor said to me, you need to live a day at a time. I live in the future mentally. Mm-hmm. I know what I'm going to do later this afternoon. I know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I know what I'm going to do Monday. I know what I'm going to do next Friday. I'm always, always, always have my goals and my plans set out. Right. If I don't, if I don't hit it, there's no if I don't hit it. I will. Right. Exactly. Right? So, in coming to this podcast as well, in the back of my mind, something told me that you'd ask a, a question like this. And I, mm-hmm. and, I, and I said, you know what, let me, let me prep some stuff because personally for me, what I do is I build routines. I mm-hmm. always write things down because if you don't, there's something about writing things down that makes you action it. hundred percent. And I believe you should always make someone hold you accountable. Sometimes yourself is not good enough because I, I can give you, for example, so I'm married and if, really? if my wife say, okay, if you, can you put this bottle right here every day? Right. And let's say I keep on forgetting to put that bottle there every day. What I would do is say, okay, to my wife, if I, every time I don't put that bottle there, I owe you $2. <laughs> You're going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to do it because I don't want to pay two times, 10 times, which is $10, which can multiply to get larger and larger. So sometimes yeah. you have to put yourself in that uncomfortable situation to force you to execute your plans. 100%. And that's why you keep good friends because these are the persons who hold you accountable to the, the life decisions that you're making or the life goals that you're setting down for yourself. Also, missing goals can also become a bad habit. Right. And also achieving goals can also become a good habit. Oh, yes. 
So yeah. if if you keep on missing your goals and it becomes a norm, I am telling you, you'll fail at every single thing you put your mind to. There's no coincidence why there's people out there who never complete anything they started. While you have people over there that complete most things they started, they're usually never really a middle ground. Yeah, it's a Pareto distribution. I know you're aware of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, it's just, there are some people who I always consider like compounding small wins, right? Yeah. And so as long as you keep consistently setting short, tight goals that you're going to execute and you keep hitting those, they compound on each other. Exactly. And, and compounding and the concept of compounding, people it see it easily with, you know, finance when it comes to uh um, your retirement fund, but that also happens with activities, right? When you see someone who's developed skill, right? A basketballer, he's compounded many hours of time shooting the ball. A bodybuilder, he spent hours in the gym doing the same rep over and over and over to the point where there's such a large gap between what he's been doing for years and what others have not been doing for years, right? So that skill set, is very important to have issues just make short tight wins i love that you said writing it down because as a project manager it's like one of the skill sets is putting together um, a schedule what's a schedule it's literally milestones written down on paper right these are the activities we want to get done these are the estimated times we want to get done and if i want to drive a project and get guys, electricians, plumbers, carpenters, um, get going or moving. You you win small, they win the small days, right? But you have this one milestone date. It could be the crane coming on site. So we, if the crane's coming on site, we need the soil prepped. Everyone needs to be worried about getting the soil prepped, getting the area ready for the crane, right? And everyone's driving to that. The moment you don't have that, your project goes alright. Because everyone's just moving very lackadaisical, right? So having those tight dates, having those, we cannot miss this date. Whatever we do, whatever happens, if it means coming on Saturday, we're hitting this date, gets you going, and you might hit the day. If you don't hit the date, you're way better off than if you never had a date to hit anyway. So Exactly. Exactly. You no, know, just amazing. But so for you right now, you know, obviously... We're high energy, well executing machines, but there are times where we have low moments, low energy moments where things don't go according to plan. As much as we are good at planning and dreaming and executing, there are moments where, like Murphy's Law, when a problem happens, it happens in threes. It happens at the same time. You deal with this problem, then the next problem comes with the next problem. You had maybe a two weeks before that where you had nothing going on and then this one over everybody every problem happens no right and sometimes you don't hit your date sometimes you don't hit the things you're trying to get done how do you go about recovering from those low energy moments okay so first of all i, I think the most important thing we we work in corporate so I, I can speak from the perspective of corporate right it's very important to have a supportive leader Mm. Um, when you're interviewing for a job, you're also interviewing the company and you're interviewing the hiring manager that's interviewing you. 
Right. It's also very important that whoever you choose to be your leader or the company that you work on isn't very high on work-life balance because mm-hmm. that also helps you to unwind when things are not going as best as possible. You also get support from your direct leader, which is goes a far way. I've heard executives spoken before mm-hmm. and they have said, one thing they all said is all leaders that you see who are senior in companies had someone who mentored them and supported them and in difficult situations. Right. Right. So I, that's why I'm a big advocate for that. I have a good leader. So for me, unwinding is as simple as saying, I feel a little flustered. I'm a little tired. Can I get a couple of days off? And I guarantee you, there will never be a no in it. You know, there's a, don't worry. We'll have someone cover up and do, do a little bit of work, give you a little bit of time off. For me also, I'm a bit, um, I'm a bit advocate for sports. So right. I do play soccer. I do, I do, um, go to the gym. I do do jogging. I'm, I'm also a social butterfly, meaning I, I like to hang with my friends, simple things as just going to the park and just talking and laughing and playing. Those things help me to unwind. Mm-hmm. Also, I never take my work so serious where it influences my health because because in the past and i can give you a little background when when i went into for this is a little background for especially the 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 young listeners who need to know how to set boundaries while working so for me personally when i one of my jobs in the past i was heavily burdened because i had a lot of responsibilities as a junior individual and I always wanted to impress. I wanted to do well. I wanted to make sure that everything is executed perfectly to the extent where my work imposed on my downtime, my after hours time, it imposed on my sports and my gym time. Right. I also imposed on my weekend time where I just would be just chilling. What happened over time, it compounded where I was diagnosed with extreme stress and panic. So it, re- it resulted in anxiety, panic attacks, stuff like that. Coming from that situation, and I was a very young guy at the time. So for that to happen so early, you must know my body was under extreme stress. Coming from that time, one thing I learned was a corporation operates even when you're not there. You have 100%. Boundaries and realize that there is a certain rules and regulations that a company should actually operate under. As much as you might fear your job going away because you're not you're not doing exactly what your boss wants to do, that's unhealthy. That's really yeah. unhealthy. Because if you're supposed to work nine to five, the five to seven or the seven to nine that you're working should be up to you. It should be based on your mental health capacity. And I realized that over time, and it had made me even more relaxed in every working situation. There's never a so stressful situation where I got back to that stage ever again. Right, 100%. I love that you said that because I always said to my guys when they come on site, I do the safety training on my site. 
And I'm walking him through the safety training. And I was like, I'm not here to have you just sign the paper. I want you to understand what you're doing, right? The nature of your job, you physically being able to work is your ability to bring money home to your family, right? Mm-hmm. Protect yourself at all times and protect the other persons here at all times, right? I know as a typical, like a project manager, a superintendent, it's always go, go, go. I need the job done. But recognize if you get injured, the moment you're leaving, this is a production site. Someone else is coming to yeah. finish the job, right? So I always tell my guys, listen, I prefer you moving slow with intention, right? Then just rush, rush, hurry, hurry, and then it's sloppy work and you're injured, right? Yeah. Do the work, recognize you're going to come back the next day. It's The job is going to get done. It's going to seem slow at first with the setup, but it's going to exponentially get better. And when someone gets injured or someone gets um, um, hurt on the job, it demoralizes the whole team. It demoralizes me as a leader. It demoralizes the other persons that they don't feel safe. So your job, just don't get injured doing things because you're rushing to get it done, right? And, you, you know, that's one thing I always said to them. And I like what you said earlier, too, is, understanding boundaries i always consider myself an entrepreneur it's different than an entrepreneur right entrepreneur you, you own the business very right mm-hmm. entrepreneur you're inside the business right you're advocating for sanjay llc and they're conducting business with sanjay llc and businesses do business with other businesses who execute well but you also have to negotiate for yourself on your terms so that everyone leaves the exchange happy, right? You're happy with what you've negotiated for yourself. They're happy that every boss wants to sleep easy at night, knowing that whoever I gave a task to is when they get the job done, right? Mm -hmm. And long as you can possess that I will get the job done, it's on you, but there's a but. I'm going to get the job done, but I do need my downtime and and, and a, a good manager, really good manager, understands that whatever last time I think I'm losing, giving someone downtime, I gain it in the long run. I gain their admiration, I gain their respect, and their willingness to work with me and not leave in the middle of a project that has a tight deadline. Yep. I've seen companies where they are very rigid on um, people time. You have to be in exactly 9 o'clock. You have right. to leave no minute before five o'clock. If you have a family issue, you have to sign up for a day off or you have to put in um, that you're sick. You have to buy the box. You have to follow these. And those companies, the moment the time comes and those those bosses want someone to work overtime, they say no. 100%. <laughs> Just like how you have me on the have to schedule, I have you on the have to schedule. Yep. There's always going to be a moment where I always, like I said, that's a good manager. You want to advocate for my client, but I, I, I advocate for my trades because guess what? There's going to be a moment. There's different construction companies manage differently. Sometimes you have a construction company where they beat the trades up on behalf of the owner. But guess what? There are moments where your trade could see a problem emerging way before you can see it emerging. Exactly. And they could save you a cost, a change order, a risk 
to the project. The part of project management is risk management in the sense of safety and cost, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's outside of the contractual agreement in the drawings. Uh, tradesmen can see it a lot earlier than you would probably possess the time to see it. But if you are just hammering on them, uh, hammering and not giving them a break and not listening to their um their opinion, they'll just let it just happen. And when it happens, you are no, you're pieing your face at that point. It's not coordinated. There's a change order that no, your company has to account for and pay for because that was in your scope to coordinate the work. But a good tradesman who respects you and you respect them and they understand the nuance that you're advocating for their best interest, but being fair to your client will save you so much money in the long run, just having that nuanced relationship and not being a, I consider it being a robot. It's just like, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what this is. And not being nuanced with the emotional needs of your persons working with you above you and below you. So <laughs> man, it's good, man. I'm happy you came on the podcast, Sanjay, because the world needs to know. Yeah. The world needs that. Like I said, I've seen your growth because I've been in the trenches with you in high school and I'm just very proud to, you know, have met you and have you come on the podcast to kind of give the next listening generation, what's necessary, what's the intent and the energy needed to to execute your plan that you have in your mind. Yep. And it's a pleasure. Um I, I'm happy you invited me here. I know it's a I think this is the first time I'm I'm a part of a podcast. I've I've, I've spoken to individuals before face to face, but it's the first I'm doing being a part of a podcast and I appreciate the fact of learning new Thanks. No, I appreciate that, man. Have a good day and just keep safe and keep doing what you're doing, Sanjay. All right. All the best, Arman. We've come to the end of the episode. Always remember the road to greatness is long and hard. Always focus on progress over perfection. Execute relentlessly. Like, share, and subscribe, and I'll see you soon. Keep safe. <laughs>